0: couple of things. You may have noticed our little donation jar out by the bathrooms and the water uh, fountains. Sunday, October 30th, after our service here, we're going to have food, crafts, and games. And our theme is Africa. And uh, all proceeds are going to go to... uh, Missionaries in Africa, George and Luan, all right, (laughs) primarily. Um, I also want to thank you for your prayers this past week. Lori's dad died last Wednesday. It wasn't unexpected, but it's always difficult when there's a death in the family. So thank you for your prayers. Uh, She comes home tonight, and I thank the Lord for that. It's rough sometimes when you're used to someone taking care of your every (laughs) need. She is my organization. Just to give you an example, (laughs) in our announcements this morning, I had to give the Scripture reading a week and a a half ahead of time. You know when I do the Scripture reading? Sunday morning. A week and a half ahead? What's up with that? But anyway... (laughs) This morning, we're in the book of Revelation, chapter 11. We're going to go through verse 14 through the end of the chapter. Then we're going to go into chapter 12. But um, we stopped last week at verse 14 of chapter 11, where we heard the third woe of the three woes. That sounds peculiar, doesn't it? Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Which is coming quickly. So let's read Revelation chapter 11, 15 through 19. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there was a loud voice in heaven saying, The kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks We give you thanks, O Lord God, Almighty, the one who is, who was, and is to come, because you have taken your great power and reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who who destroy the earth. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven. The ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there was lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. The seventh angel sounds his trumpet, and we hear loud voices coming from heaven declaring, The kingdom of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord, and of His Christ. Christ shall reign forever and ever. This world has been given over to Satan at the fall of Adam, but now we see Jesus taking back His creation, His world. And there's great joy in heaven with all its inhabitants, including these 24 elders, who begin to worship God at this loud proclamation. It's not a little thing done in secret. It's a loud proclamation. God is taking the kingdoms of the world back under His power. Back under His control. It's hard to relate that to anything we know of today, and the only thing that I could really come up with to try to uh, relate to it is this is similar to someone who has ran a campaign to get elected and they've won the election. The candidates and his supporters, they've been watching the voter results come in and their team has won the election and there's joy and there's happiness. But he will still not take office for several more weeks, sometimes months. But the joy at the election headquarters, it's great. It's overwhelming. It's unrestrained joy, even though their candidate has not taken charge. Same thing we're looking upon here in heaven. There's great joy in heaven with all those in heaven the elders are on their faces worshiping God and they're declaring God who was and is and is to come and He's taken back His creation His kingdom and He is about to begin not quite happen yet but He is about to begin His eternal reign and there's great joy Many are angry. Uh, Many of the nations are angry. The unrepentant, the unbelievers are angry. They're angry because God's judgment and wrath have been poured out upon man and upon uh, the sinful world. They're also angry that God is rewarding His servants, His prophets, His saints, and any person that fears God is delighted And is about to receive their reward. For God is about to destroy those who destroy this world. And we have in the temple of God for John to see. We see God opening up for John to look inside the temple. And it's interesting what John sees. He sees An Old Testament symbol. He sees the Ark of the Covenant. This is an Old Testament symbol of God's throne. And this is what John sees. And this view of God's throne, well, it's not done in quiet. It's not done in secret. There's lightnings. There's loud noises. There's thunderings, an earthquake, and even great hail are happening as John looks upon the throne of God. It's like all of nature is expressing themselves or their selves. Uh, it's like a giant fireworks display. Probably not as great as our fireworks display here on 4th of July, but still a great one, you know, still, it's still okay. But uh, that's tongue-in-cheek all the way, by the way. Now we have chapter 12, where we travel back in chapter 12. Remember, Revelation is not in pure chronological order. We travel back in chapter 12 to the time of the fall of Satan or Lucifer. And then we move forward again into the great tribulation period. And we're introduced to three main characters in chapter 12. The woman, her male child, who is very unique, and the fierce red dragon. And we're given account then of a war that breaks out in heaven, and we're also shown the wrath of God on this earth. And we basically view, begin to view here in chapter 12, In this tribulation time, we view it from a viewpoint of evil, not good. So let's read chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Now there was a great sign that appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head was a garland of 12 stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and seven diadems on his head. With his tail, he drew down a third of the stars from heaven, threw them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that, she should, that they should feed her there 1,260 days. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they, the dragon, did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Quite the same. The woman, in verse 1, is Israel. John, John, he tells us plainly, this is a sign. This is a great sign. Uh, and it's the first of seven signs. Now, you have to bear in mind that this is only a sign, a representation, not literally a woman. Women in Scripture represent many times religious systems, particularly in the book of Revelation. You have Jezebel, a false teaching system. You have the great harlot, again a false religion, and then you have the bride, and the bride of course is the bride of Christ. So you have women who represent religious systems in the book of Revelation. To the Catholic Church, this woman is Mary. But let me take you back to Joseph's dream in Genesis 37. In that dream that Joseph has, he has all these different... the sun, the moon, the stars, and all these things bowing down to him. The sun being Jacob, the father of Joseph. The moon being Rachel. His mother. So we have the sun and the moon, Joseph's parents bowing down to him. And remember, Joseph in the Old Testament is a type of Christ. The 11 stars, they're Joseph's brothers. And we see Joseph, he would join them in verse 1 of our text. So the nations of Israel and their patriarchs. Being the woman is another religious system. The woman being with child, she gives birth to Jesus, and that's in verse 5. The nation of Israel, under the bondage of Rome, at the time of Jesus' birth, relates to the labor pains. Verse 3, we have another sign. And it's symbolic now. You have to bear that in mind. And this is the great fiery red dragon. And he has seven heads, he has ten horns, and he has seven diadems or crowns on his head. This great red dragon has tremendous fierce power. Uh, he has what we would call evil strength. And this is indicated by his seven heads and his ten horns. Not literal again, representing. The seven crowns tell us that this dragon wants to be considered a king. He desires royalty. He desires worship, like worship that is given unto God. That's always been one of Satan's desires, that he be worshiped like God. And then when we read Daniel chapter 7 and 8 and Revelation chapter 13, we get a picture of this revived Roman Empire, you know, the ten horns and all this kind of thing. We will look into that further, but that will come a little later. But let's move to verse 4. The dragon, the devil, he drew, he enticed, past tense, it's already happened, one-third of the stars with him, or one-third of the host of heaven, that being one-third of the angelic beings joined Satan in his revolt. Now, that number is at least in the millions. Perhaps billions, if you consider that people, mankind, have a guardian angel. How many people have lived? There's millions and millions of angels. The devil lures. He persuades millions of angels to join him in his revolt against God think for a moment of the power of deception that Satan has. We don't want to glorify Satan in any way, shape, or form here. But he is the great deceiver. One-third of the heavenly angels who are created with a superior intelligence than man are deceived and they follow Him. They follow the lie. That tells me you do not resist. I do not resist Satan with my intellect. I can't do it. I'm a defeated person if I do that. We must resist Satan through the blood of the Lamb, through the Spirit. And I rejoice. And you rejoice in the victory that Jesus had over Satan. And so we cry out and we say, Thank you, Lord, for redeeming us, for saving us, for being victorious. What a joy it is to be a saint washed in the blood of the Lamb. That is a blessing. And consider for a moment now, How many non-Christian believers that you know? People that do not have a clue that they follow the great deceiver. If you talk to a non-Christian friend, a non-believer, they will be greatly offended if you tell them they are in league with Satan. But they are. They just don't know it. They're deceived. There are only two camps in this world. You're either a Christian or you're not a Christian. You're either a believer or you're not a believer. There's no other place you can be. It's that. There is no neutral ground with God or with His Son Jesus. And you've heard me say this all the time. You're either for Christ, or you're against Him. And if you're against Him, you are a little antichrist, christ whether you like it or not, and that's the truth of the matter. A few years back, a friend of mine, a man that I had been praying for, I've been praying for him to become a Christian, Well, his dad died. And now his dad was a believer. And as I visited with my friend, he told me what a great, loving, good friend his dad was to him. He said, my dad and I, we did everything together. We went fishing. We worked on projects together. We were close. We were tied, my dad and I. And he wanted to go and be where his dad was when he died. Kind as I could, and delicately as I could, I told him that it was not possible for him to be with his dad unless he too became a Christian. I owed him that. His wanting to see his dad, to be with his dad one more time, was the motivation for him becoming a Christian. He became a Christian because he wanted to see his dad again and be with him. And so he accepted Jesus as his Savior. But I had the responsibility to tell him the truth because I'd been praying for him. I had been praying that he would become a believer. And there was no way for him to see his dad again apart from becoming a believer or a Christian. You see, much of the world buys into what I call the great deception, the great lie. And that great lie is if you're a good person, and if you don't lie, and if you don't cheat on your wife, and you try to be honest in your business dealings, and you don't kick the dog when you come home when you've had a bad day, If you really try to be a good person, you'll go to heaven in the end. That is a great deception in much of the world. And I'm afraid even Christianity buys into that. I think it's probably the greatest deception that is foisted upon mankind. And it's foisted upon mankind by the great deceiver, the red dragon, Satan himself. I find it interesting that many Eastern religions worship dragons and serpents. And in Revelation, we're told that Satan is the great red dragon. I just find that very interesting. But we have to wonder What was the great deception that Satan foisted upon one-third of the angels in heaven to join him in rebellion? What did he promise them? How did he deceive them? We know that Satan was lifted up with pride. We know that he desired to be like God. I will ascend unto heaven and all this kind of thing and be like God. But what did Satan promise these angels to join him? They're with God. They're in heaven. What was his deception? Did he promise them more power? Did he promise them more authority? Kingdoms? We don't know. But one of the reasons we study God's Word is where we can be aware of Satan's devices. Paul writes and he says, we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. I remember the first time I read that. I said, well, I am. (laughs) I'm afraid I'm ignorant of his devices. But as you study God's Word, we begin to see the way, the method that Satan operates. And it is a great deception. Can I just add something? You'd like me to add something? Personal thought. I think one of the great deceptions upon the Christian church right now is prosperity doctrine. You know why? That appeals to the flesh so much. Oh, I can be healthy. I can be wealthy. All i got to do is claim it and make Jesus my servant versus me being His servant. That's prosperity doctrine. It's me becoming God and Jesus becoming my my servant. It's a deception. Okay, that was my two cents. Back to the woman. Christ is born to this woman. Christ the Messiah. He is born in Israel. He is born in a Jewish family. Christ is a Jew by heritage. Satan the dragon. He's attempted to kill this child, this Messiah. You remember when Herod ordered the slaughter of the innocents. He, he ordered that all the children, what was it, under two years of age, be killed that lived in the Bethlehem area. And throughout the life of Christ here on earth, Satan attacked him constantly and in every way he could. We remember when Satan... Uh, tempted Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days. He offered Jesus the kingdoms of this world if Jesus would simply bow down and worship him. But our Lord never yielded to Satan's temptations. Not once. That perhaps to me is the greatest miracle of Christ's life here on earth. He never yielded to temptation. He never yielded to sin. And that's that temptation that Satan brought upon Jesus, we know it was severe because in the Garden of Gethsemane, what does Jesus pray? If there's any way to avoid the cross, if there's any way to redeem Your people, besides me going to the cross, I want to do it. That is the same thing Satan offered Christ. You can have the kingdom of this world without going to the cross. That was the temptation. What a tremendous temptation. Because we know Jesus despised the cross. He hated the shame of it, but he still went to the cross. And we, all of Christianity, rejoices that our Lord never yielded to temptation, not even once. Satan, he was relentless. Jesus was victorious. Now we have Jesus in chapter 12 here, about to assume his throne where he will rule and reign with a rod of iron. Now, you, you hear that off bat and you go, rule with a rod of iron? Well, that means Jesus simply will rule with absolute authority. And Jesus will rule and reign with authority in righteousness. We have never, this world has never seen a completely righteous ruler. The closest we got was David. King David. And yet David had his many faults. He sinned time and time again. But David was the closest thing we've had to a righteous ruler. Our Lord Jesus will rule in pure righteousness. Again, that's something we have never seen. In verse 5, we have Jesus... Being caught up into heaven, uh, similar to like he was caught up in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, he ascended in the clouds up into heaven. But now we have a great division between between verses 5 and 6. It's what we call a 2,000 year gap between verse 5 and 6. We're waiting for the 70th week of Daniel that last week that great tribulation period and we call this period of time between verse 5 and 6 we call it this the dispensation of grace the age the time of grace and it happens to be where we live right now today because in verse 6 we read how Israel will flee into the wilderness and that is yet future. At the midpoint of the tribulation, Israel will flee, and she will flee as a people into Jordan to the rock city of Petra. A group of Christians, by the way, (laughs) I like this, have stocked Petra with food and literature for these Jews that will be fleeing the dragon or Satan in the wilderness they stocked it to me that's god's practical way of fulfilling scripture that he would take care of them sometimes i think we should leave something here in our little church building some literature some cds anything that would help the unsaved after the church is raptured because If you're not raptured, what are you going to do? You're going to be looking around. You're going to be wanting to go somewhere. And we'll we'll leave our doors unlocked, let them come in, take anything they want. We're not going to be here. Uh, So we'll leave it out in the lobby for those that are left behind. And we'll write things like little notes, you know. I told you we were leaving. Why wouldn't you believe? Perhaps. (laughs) Perhaps <laughs> I'm serious, we should do so. I wish more churches would do that. And anyway, at the midpoint of the tribulation, we have war that breaks out in heaven, and the war is between similar angels of power. It's between Michael the Archangel and the devil. It is not between God and the devil. It's between Michael and the devil. And Michael prevails. He wins. Showing that Michael is an angel of high rank, but it also shows us that Satan is not equal to God. He is a created being. So we should never allow, even in conversation with others, for them to compare Satan to God for as his authority and power it's not a it's just false that 's all there is to it. Satan is vanquished from heaven and he's vanquished once and for all. He is told, get out, he is cast out, and in the book of Job, when we read Job, we see how Satan had access to heaven, he had his right, his privilege to go before God, and what does he do? He accuses you and I, the saints. That's what he does. And Satan is there accusing, but now in chapter 12 here, he's cast out. Cast out of heaven. And he no longer has access to God. To what? To accuse the saints. Our accuser is out. And all the millions of angels who align themselves with the devil, they are out also, but they're cast down to this earth. Do you think there will be chaos on this earth? There will be. No one, however, to point a finger at you or I and say, look what he did. What a blessing just not to have the accuser to be able to point a finger at anyone. The only thing thing that Satan has left when he's cast down to the earth is a little bit of time and that's short and he knows that time is short that's why I think today right now we see Satan more or less coming out of the closet he's getting more vocal he's getting more bold he's getting more upfront with what he wants out of mankind And He wants your allegiance and worship. That's what He wants. And He will deceive you to get it. It's very important that we realize as believers that Satan is a defeated foe. Strong, great deceiver, goes about as a roaring lion, but he is defeated. That's a done deal. And we're told ahead of time that he's defeated. We're not to fear him. We're to fear our Lord Jesus. We know that he has plans of deception for each and every one of us. That's His trait. That's His M.O. That's the way He works. And you do not resist Him or stand against Him by your intellect. Too many times we want to fight the enemy of our soul with our intellect. You will lose. I tell you ahead of time, you will lose that battle. That battle is done by the Spirit of God. That's why Jude in his little book says, God rebuke you, Satan. Jew doesn't try to rebuke Satan. He says, the Lord rebuke you. And we're to take the same approach. Do not think for a moment that you can do battle with Satan in and of yourself and prevail. You cannot. So what are we to look forward to? Well, as birth pains come upon this world, I think we're going to look at more and more persecution. It's just going to happen. You're going to be made to look more and more out of step with a tolerant society. We're already labeled as being intolerant of a lot of different things. And when we see churches, denominations, lining up with sinful behavior, know that you're in the last days. Know you're there. There are denominations all over the place now, you can't even name them all, that are ordaining gays, homosexuals, giving them a pulpit, giving them a platform to preach sin. That's what they're doing. Now, is that a greater sin than other sins? No. But since when do we allow sin to come and stand in the pulpit and teach us that attack is on. And the attack is that you're okay, I'm okay, and we'll all go to heaven. And the attack is also tolerance. Tolerance. If you're tolerant of everything, then you stand for nothing. It's that simple. We need to stand firm in the faith. Amen. Let me get you to stand and we'll pray. Father God, I thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the truth of Your Word, Lord. We don't have to wonder if Your Word is truth. You've sworn by Your Word. You said it is Your very nature. So, Lord, let us be diligent to study Your Word, to know where You stand. Let us know, Lord, by Your Spirit, that we have an opponent, a deceiver who battles for our very soul. And, Lord, we thank You for defeating him. We thank You for the blood of Your cross, Jesus, that has defeated Satan. So, Lord, keep us by Your Spirit. Keep us in the palm of Your hand, Lord. May we remain the apple of Your eye, Lord. And may we be bold in our witness. May we be bold in speaking forth for the truth of Your Word. Thank You for Your Word, Lord Jesus. Cause us to be bold. Cause us to be good witnesses for You and for Your Kingdom. And we pray for this, and we ask this, in Your name, Jesus. Amen.